Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the show. You're recording live from the Astroglide Studios. we got a great show planned for you. we got, it's kind of action-packed. We're going to be talking a lot about how to get the spark back in your relationship. Um... <laughs> And then later we're going to be talking about uh, celebrities that have come out saying they don't have kids or want kids. Controversial, punchy topic. Shouldn't be, but it is. Let people live. Jeez. Uh, but um, before we get to the how to bring the spark back, important, right? Because we can all learn even if that's not us, right? It's a little bit of a warning. Uh, Michelle Obama, I love this. She was talking um, on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert about depression. And again, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. Right? We want to normalize talking about mental health. And every time you talk openly about your mental health, please know how radical and revolutionary that is. It's very healing because it gets people, again, familiar around you hearing people talk about mental health. It normalizes it. They're like, oh, there's no big deal. We should be able to talk about this. We can. It also tells people that you are a safe space and a safe resource for them to go to to talk about theirs, right? Because we don't often have that. There's a lot of people that don't have many people or anyone at all in their lives that is a safe open space to discuss all these feelings and as we talked about on a prior segment remember mental health does not mean the absence of depression and anxiety and stress mental health is actually the ability to fully feel deeply the full range of emotions to self-regulate to have healthy coping mechanisms to understand self-care and boundaries to live authentically but mental health is not the absence of depression and anxiety one can be currently struggling with depression and still have mental health if they are able to acknowledge it and to drop into it, right? To ask what, it, to explore what it might be asking or communicating. It's an important part of life. That's what Michelle Obama was sharing. She said, you're not going to feel great all the time. That is part of life. Um, and I think that's really important for us to know. There is such a thing as clinical depression. We've talked about that. We've talked about what are the signs of that. But we do need to normalize that depression is going to be an element or an aspect of all of our lives at some point. Um, not clinically, right? Where we might need therapy or the supportive medication and some other stuff, but like it's part of life. Um, she says, Michelle Obama again says that she revealed uh, talking to, about depression to her children in hopes that they'd understand that life isn't as she says, and I love her quotes, life isn't all Beyonce hugs, which is really funny. I'm not going to call out her privilege that she actually might know what a Beyonce hug feels like. God bless. Cause the rest of us have no idea what that means, except it's probably some form of magic. Um, <laughs> But uh, she says, and I'm going to quote her, she said, when I talk to my kids about depression, I try to urge them to understand that the valleys are temporary, but so are the peaks. They can be temporary and they have to be prepared, my children, to handle the highs and the lows. Um, she also said, and I love this, um, in terms of like, what do you, what about it? Are you, you know, also discussing, she said, I'm trying to get my daughters and other young people to start thinking about what are your tools, the things that bring you joy, the things that bring you calm and peace. I know those things for myself, but it took me decades to get to them and connect to them. And that's when we're talking all the time about coping mechanisms and self-care and resilience. We all need to know what are the things that we should be turning to? What are the things that ground us, make us feel better? And um, I love that she used the word joy. We need more joy in our lives. How can you every day find a way to bring in joy or translate that how can you bring in pleasure every single day? Every single day, we talk about this, have some form of pleasure, whatever it might be, food, sexuality, reading, connecting with someone, resting. Ah, the other thing we're trying to bring into every day, rest. And I don't mean your eight to nine hours of mandatory sleep that we need to have mandatory. We need to mandate that we get that. But we also get to rest, moments of rest, 
in our culture, we translate that into I'm being lazy. No, you're not. You're resting. That's a sign of health. And a lot of us think we have to earn that. I, I almost daily at some point have a conversation with a patient where I say to them, you need to rest more. Go to the gym less. Rest more. You know, push back on that. Uh, whatever, whatever it is, whatever you've planned and focus on some pleasure. But more importantly, I'm always telling them your worth isn't tied to how productive you are. Your worth isn't tied to what you've accrued, right? Your worth isn't tied to how hard you work. Your worth isn't tied to what you own or material things, right? But our culture has trained us to think in those terms. They have to earn things. Even if we think you have to earn food or calories. No, not at all, right? We have worth and value inherently just because we are. We don't need to do much. But again, marketing, advertising, the world we live in, it's always telling us we need to be better or different somehow. No, we don't. That's toxic. Toxic self-improvement culture. We don't always need to be improving. It's about contentment. We know that from Eastern philosophy. We know that from psychology. We know that from studies in minimalism. What's, what brings us happiness is simplicity and contentment. That's how we get to happiness, just being content with where we are and what we have. That doesn't mean we don't battle injustices. We absolutely do. We think intersectionally in terms of justice, so we battle injustices, but how can we carve out contentment with what we have? The good enough model, good enough lives, good enough relationships, right? Contentment. That's the guide. That's what we're working towards. I need to do a whole segment on contentment. Uh, again, born out of Buddhism and Eastern philosophy. I studied it and practiced it for 10 years. Um, yeah. Anyway, topic for another show. But uh, yeah, stick around. Coming up next, we're going to be talking about how to get that spark back and how to keep it. Um, both as equally as important as the other. And uh, past episodes of Loveline, as always, over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, bam, click on it. There's my face and a DMs. You got one for us? We want to hear from you. What's your question? Drop it in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. Uh, stick around. We'll be back. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris. Loveline is brought to you by Astroglide, personal lubricants and massage oils for everyone. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, we're back and we're talking about how to bring that spark back. Oh, I know. <laughs> Every long-term relationship, sometimes some short-term relationships really struggle with this question. I think it's an important one. Um, you're going to spend the evening unpacking it. There's a lot to it. This is one of my more, um, one of the topics I value and enjoy more when I travel and I lecture. This comes up a lot because, <clears throat> well, let's, let's just jump in then. Why? Because it's a common and inevitable stage of all monogamous relationships. And that's why I love this topic because any individual in any monogamous relationship at some point might encounter or will encounter, I should say, this stage, phase, or moments of where the spark go. You know, what's so interesting is that the early phases and stages of relationship aren't the most honest. And that's what I usually hear people reference back to. Ah, but in the beginning, it was blah, blah, blah. Ah, yes, I say. The beginning doesn't count. <laughs> it's important. It's meaningful. We need that spice, that power, that energy, that desire, that hunger. Why? Well, think about what would happen if we didn't have it. We'd never have a second date. We'd never step into our self-esteem and confidence and anxiety to text someone and ask them out, right? So inherently, there needs to be a front-loading of draw, right, and desire. It's evolutionary. It's built in, right? There, we need to have a something that makes us keep texting, keep calling, you know, plan a, a, a date and then spend our hard-earned money on that date, right? Like there needs to be some powerful driving force and that's early stage of relationship. And as we've talked about, that's the lust and that's not bad. Like that isn't to illegitimize early 
energy and spark. It's lust. It's hormonal. It's all about attraction. It's chemistry, right? It's rooted in projection and fantasy, who you think they are, who you think they'll be, right? It's such a beautiful time. And that's why it bums me out when people try to um, water it down and not get too excited. I'm like, ah, you'll deal with disappointment if and when it comes. We can't prepare for that. Go all in. Write their name on all your notebooks and draw a heart around it. Like that's the fun, cute part of early relationship is having a crush on them, having a lot of lust for them and desire. Allow that, lean into that, amplify that. Don't be too cool for that. I totally disagree with people that are like, well, don't get your hopes up. Well, we should. This is an exciting moment. And if we get disappointed or let down, we'll deal with it. But it's no less disappointing if you water down the whole experience. All you do is wind up missing out on some of the amazing fun and joy of the beginning. I get all sorts of cuckoo caca when I'm crushing on someone in the beginning. Oh my God, I'm thinking about them all the time. I'm telling stories. I'm listening to music. I'm watching romance films. I'm sending them gifts. Lean all in. And if it doesn't go any further, okay, I'm proud of what I put in and I'll do it again. I'll keep doing it. I said that to a friend of mine when he flew to the East Coast to uh, meet someone that he had met online. And he's like, oh my God, it didn't go well. And I said, all right, but I'm proud of you because you think love and relationships important. And I think it is as well. I think it's the most important thing we can have, relationships of all different kinds. And I will tell you to do it again and again and again and again because you care and you put effort into it. It's amazing what we'll put effort into and what we won't. We'll change cities for a job, right? We'll do all sorts of things to raise kids. We'll move into the suburbs, all these things. But for love and dating and romance, people are like, eh, you're being over the top. We should be. It's worth that. But my, my bigger point is, again, early early relationality isn't what we should be looking to to determine how to be down the road. It's not honest. But yet it is because it is real and it is born out of real things. It's okay to be driven by lust and fantasy and desire. Those are real things. But it's not the most honest thing to use to determine how it will be. And that's why we date to see if we want a long-term committed relationship. Dating isn't the actual relationship. Dating has accountability and responsibility for the other, right? You are forming commitment, but it's not the fully committed relationship, which isn't really anything that can psychologically happen until we've really gotten to know them. Conflict really has happened. We've gotten to see how we manage conflict because to me, as a couples and sex therapist, that is the most profound moment to really realize the sustainability and health of these two people. It's how they manage conflict, right? But Losing the spark is an inevitable, common stage of a relationship when you're monogamous. If it's non-monogamous, it's a whole different scenario, and we'll talk about that at some point. But don't panic. That's the takeaway from this segment. I say that to everyone. I say, what I want you to walk away from my lecture on this topic, and I'll lecture on it for a couple hours, so you're going to get the abbreviated form tonight. Don't panic. When you realize, wow, you know that wound down or drifted away quickly or not quickly, here we are, that moment... What you do next when the spark is quote unquote gone, that shows commitment. Commitment is shown when it matters most. Commitment is shown when it's difficult, right? Commitment is not demonstrated when someone keeps coming back when things are going well. No, that is not when commitment is shown. Commitment is shown based on what we do when we're let down, disappointed, or things get difficult. That's the only time and place where trust is built. Familiarity and consistency do build trust. So you repeatedly showing up does that. But trust me when I tell you, it is far more profound when things are rough, rough, funky, difficult, disappointing, and people hang in there. That is when we know they're in it for the long haul. That's how we know they're committed. So I tell people, oh, the spark is gone. Great. Now commitment's being shown by you and them and what you do shows that to the other. Are you backtracking? Are you panicking? Are you discussing leaving? Well, you're not showing commitment. You're letting your partner know when things are rough, I consider leaving. Wow, ain't much sustainability in that. What's gonna happen if someone gets sick or there's the passing of a loved one or we have financial issues or whatever else? Bam, maybe you should go. That's sometimes what I tell some of my clients to tell their partner, you should go now because if you can't manage getting through this, I worry about your ability to manage and to stick with me through other difficult things, right? I'm not as flip as that, but like that's in there. Like you're showing yourself and the relationship and your partner what you do when things get difficult. You bounce. So it's a really powerful moment of trust building for self and other. But don't panic, right? Like this is but a, but a moment. This is just a, 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 a line on the drawn on a, on a whiteboard trajectory of the entirety of your life or relationship, you know? It is not now the place that we will forever live. So you just got to kind of hang in there. Uh, we're going to take a little break. And when we come back, we're going to keep talking about dun, 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 what to do when the spark is gone. 
Well, now you do know. Don't panic. But there's a lot more we can do. We're going to talk about that. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back and we're talking about what to do when the spark is gone from your relationship. And that spark, what does that word even mean? It means a lot of things. Sexual energy, relational energy, uh, affection, right? Hunger, desire, all that. It's, it's common. It's inevitable in monogamous relationships. Open relationships, polyamory, they actually thrive far better. These moments don't necessarily have to occur or they occur differently. Um, but don't let it be, uh, uh, don't let it be devastating. Let it be annoying, not devastating because there is, there are things we can do. And this is, like I said, in the earlier segment, this is where we show ourselves and our partner, yo, I'm in this, I'm really in this with you. And that's evidenced by me hanging in there and helping us through this difficult time. But let's make it annoying, not devastating. Spark's gone, sex is chilled out, maybe disappeared. Let's not panic. But the longer it goes, the more problematic and harder it is to resolve. So we want to kind of shift our perspective immediately. And that's why I tell people that on the front end, expect it. So when it happens, you're like, well, I'm not going to panic. I knew this was possible. I knew this was coming, right? I knew this is common. So I don't need to make this a message about us, right? But that's why we do need to have that earlier phase of all the magical things that happen because that tells us not necessarily what's possible, but in a way, what is possible? It's going to be a different version of that maybe. We're not going to get back to. We're always moving forward. It's going to be something new and different, but it can be better. You know, that's where we really can start to work on ourselves in the relationship. So again, don't panic. Make it more annoying than devastating, right? It doesn't have to ruin your day and your time. Um, and don't don't give up. You know, you don't have to just say, oh, well, I guess this romantic relationship is just going to become friendship. That's calling it quits a little too soon. You know, like you're throwing the towel in. Um, that's why I tell people from the front end, you want to keep your romantic and erotic relationships romantic and erotic. Maintain flirting. Maintain sexting. Maintain sexuality of various kinds. Touch, cuddling, kissing. Keep dating. That's the problem, right? We, we step outside of the cycle of courtship, which means we always have to notice, we always have to attract, we keep romancing. Because again, we think that relationships are about milestones to be achieved. We're supposed to be monogamous, exclusive, and then we move in together, and then maybe we get married. And people get really hung up on and over-focused on these milestones versus understanding that the process means more than the goals. And you're not using flirting, sex, cuddling, kissing in order to achieve those things. You're, you're engaging in those things because they're meaningful, because they're the joys and gifts that relationships offer us. But stay in it. Don't achieve those milestones. You know, Again, exclusivity, living together, marriage, home ownership, birthing children. Don't, don't see those as what we're doing. And once we have those, we're good. You, you want to stay in the cycle of early dating. It's so important. So let's start moving into some of the solution. As I said, don't let those things go. Keep sex and romance and affection a priority. That's the best way to never have a go is to not let it go. But that's what happens. We deprioritize those things. Time goes by. Other priorities emerge and take their place. We can do both. If you notice that those things are gone, bring them back. Don't wait. Don't say, we'll worry about that down the road or that doesn't matter anymore or we don't need that, you do, you will. Keep it accessible, keep it present, keep it fun, keep it meaningful, right? But don't let it go. Then part of that is we have to communicate. We have to talk about the fact that we miss sex. Call it out, call it out. Don't be afraid of it being taken personally. Why? Because you're gonna do it soft and kind and in a collaborative way. We're both in this. I miss sex, I miss romance, I miss affection. Do you? I do. Just call it out. Talk about why maybe it's disappeared or why things have become boring or less interesting or less prioritized, right? But we need to both not let it go and then we need to actually communicate and talk about it. I miss it. Why is it gone? Why do you think it went, right? And then we move on to prioritizing it. How do we make it something that's important to us as it was in the beginning. It was easy in the beginning. There was more desire for it. It was more of a priority. Other things emerged. Cool. But how do we reprioritize it? Well, number one, you find daily ways to bring it in every single day. Eroticize, romanticize your partner every single day. 
every day you can engage in some form of sensuality, romanticism, eroticism. This just keeps you in that headspace. Like I said, it keeps it accessible. You don't want it to drift away. You can leave notes. You can sex. You can have sex. You can flirt. You can touch. You can cuddle. You can kiss. You can send a photo, a song that reminds you of them. It's simple. It's cheap. It's free. It's always available, but we need to prioritize, right? We can do that no matter how busy our lives are. We can find space for these things if they're meaningful. We gotta take a little break. We're gonna glide into those DMs. Thanks, Astro Glide. Um, and then after that, we're gonna come back and keep talking about that spark, how to make sure it doesn't go, and when it goes, what we can do to uh, get back to it. It's part of mental health, it's part of relational health, it's part of self esteem, it's part of body esteem, it's relational esteem, right? It is important. I think some people undermine it. Anyway, coming up, coming up next, gliding into those DMs. And like I said, getting back to talking about that spark. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back. And uh, now it's time to glide into the DMs brought to you by Astroglide. Gliding into the DMs. Tonight's question says, dun, dun, dun. hey, Dr. Chris, my name is Eric. I'm almost 30 haven't found a partner I can be with for more than a year at a time. I'm getting pretty nervous and I'm trying to make things work with people. I know it won't because I do want a family and I do want kids. I'm scared that I won't find someone. Is it normal to worry about this or should I just chill out and keep looking? Well, when you've, I I mean, my first question is you said, um, I haven't found a partner I can be with for more than a year. Why? What does that mean? What does it mean that you're able to be with them for a few months, but then you're not able to be with them longer? Uh, that that's my biggest concern. What what is what keeps happening a couple months in that you realize we're not compatible, that you get anxious or intimate intimacy phobic and lean out? Is it because you don't know how to work through and stay in the process? Because in every relationship, there's going to be times where it's about maintenance or working through. Maintenance means it's not as exciting as it used to be, but that doesn't mean that you're not in love, right? But some people interpret that as we're not a match. I'm bored. Also, working through phase means conflict. Yeah, show you're committed by working through conflict. So my fear is maybe you don't really know what commitment means. And that means we do the work and we stick it through during times of conflict. That's how we build trust and show commitment. I hope you're not bouncing at the first sight of incompatibility or frustration. Because if it's constantly happening, well, you're the only constant in that story. And But also remember, dating's a numbers game. I don't know where people get this magic time from. People are like, well, I've been on the dating apps for a month. Uh, Okay, and you magically think you should have fallen in love and gotten married in that month? Like, where'd you get that from? It's a numbers game. I always tell my clients, you need at least 12 to 15 dates before you're gonna meet anyone that you might wanna see again. You know, compatibility chemistry is a highly complex thing. I don't know where the world thought it was simple and easy. Oh, that's right, movies. We think we're just gonna show up at a coffee shop, see them across the room, fall in love, and we're married in a month with kids. It doesn't work like that. It used to work that way because people settled. But people now have options. Dating apps give us access to the entire world. People want true matches and true compatibility. That's a beautiful thing. My love, my current relationship is long distance. They live in a different country. We met while on vacation. It isn't easy. It took years to meet someone that I thought I was compatible enough to really commit to something long-term. It happens. I was engaged before. You need to chill out and stay in the process. Most likely, you need to chill out and stay longer than you normally do. So what would it be like to work through and stay with someone for longer than a year? Maybe, like I said, you're bouncing out too soon, not willing to work it out or really be committed or show love or whatever it is. Sorry, my chair is making crazy noises. But I think it might be you. And I think your expectations might be off. It's okay to be single for years. I don't know where we culturally got the idea that we should be partnered up right away or by a certain age or after using apps for a certain time. None of that's promised. No one makes the rules. It is what it is and you have to be where you are. Um, There's no age by which you should dot, dot, dot. I don't believe in developmental milestones tied to ages. We are where we are. We're on the journey we are on and we have to encounter what we have to encounter, you know? So keep at it. Practice staying longer. Maybe don't commit so soon. Maybe actually date, which means multiple people ongoing for months. Maybe you jump into relationships too soon. Maybe you should be dating longer, multiple people, and and taking your time to see if there's anyone you want to be with longer, you know? So let go a little bit. Give it more time. And more importantly, also focus on some other things. 
You know, it doesn't matter what age you're at. Nothing is promised. Some people don't fall in love until they're in their 70s or 80s. You'll still be happy at that point that you have that. But until then, keep building a life that has purpose and meaning. You know what I mean? You have to still be in your whatever day of the week it is. You have to still be in that month, you know? So don't panic, but keep at it. I think people jump out way too soon and they expect it too soon. And they don't know that we have to stick it out and work through. I really see that happen far too often. So you might need to stick around longer and do more work. Dating's hard. It's a complex process. You know what I mean? Like I said, 12 to 15 dates just to get to someone they might want to see again. When in doubt, go out. When in doubt, see them three times if you have the time and the energy. People are anxious at first. People's best doesn't emerge. You know what I mean? Maybe you're living and dating from your ego. You've decided how much money they need to make, how tall they need to be, what their age needs to be. That's your ego. That's not what love's about. You know what I mean? It's about exploration. So go easy on yourself, let go and hang in there. You know what I mean? Um, okay. Uh, so, uh, we're going to take a little break, keep talking about how to get that spark back. And then we're going to glide back into those DMS. So if you got a DM for us, drop it in the DMS on our Loveline IG page and past episodes of Loveline over at wearechannelq.com. You listen to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and brought to you by Astroglide. Gliding into the DMS is brought to you by Astroglide. All right, we're back. And of course, we are recording live from the Astroglide studios. And we're talking about how to get that spark back. Yes, I know. Remember, we're not panicking. We're letting it be annoying, not devastating. We're realizing it's but a moment on that longer journey of the totality of our relationship and how we manage disappointment, frustration, right? The, the loss of that fantasy of perfection kind of shows our commitment and our, and you know, the level of trust that can be there. So again, we're letting, uh, we're keeping it present and accessible. We're trying to romanticize every single day, eroticize. Uh, we talked about communicating what's going on. You miss it. Why you think it might've left reprioritizing it, right? That's such a powerful form. We're reminding ourselves anything we deprioritize will feel like a non-priority, right? It's fascinating how, People will overfocus on the gym, a hobby, work, and then wonder why their partner, relationship, children, or sex life is lagging or lacking. Well, because if it's number five in your list of priorities, it will feel, act, and live like a number five. Um, relationships, you know, we got to put more effort into them. So we're being honest. We talked about that, right? Asking, sometimes the sex you're actually having isn't even worth wanting. I think that was a really profound insight that I've offered to clients, right? Um, is it even worth wanting? Like drop into that for a second. <laughs> like that's a powerful concept. Um, people talk a lot about not really being invested in something or, um, you know, kind of being lazy around something. And I'll say, is it even worth wanting? Is it even something that's really meaningful for you? That might be it. We need to move into honesty that you don't value something. And look at that, face that with your partner, with your relationship. The idea that maybe you don't value your partner or sex with them, right? So it's about how can I ask for what I want, right? And as we get more committed, and this is an inverse relationship that surprises some people, as we get more committed, the vulnerability rises and it can get even more anxiety inducing to really be honest and reveal ourselves. There's more to lose, right? Um, but assumptions in mind reading will never serve us when we're talking about sex and relationships. We want to always let someone know where we're at, tell people how we feel, let them know what we miss and what we need. That will always serve us, right? Uh, but we have to be in a kind of the kind of relationship that's safe for us to do that. So make sure you're that kind of partner and you're helping to create that kind of relationship. So also, again, we're talking about losing the spark in a relationship. Uh, novelty and newness. That will that will that's like a guiding. Um, theory in any element or domain of our life, whether we're talking food, movies, music, travel, uh, newness and novelty will always be most exciting. We don't eat the same meals, watch the same movies. You know, that new song comes out, we love it, it's our jam. And then after listening to it for the, you know, 75th time, we're like, eh, not as exciting anymore. Well, we tend to be really habited and patterned with sexuality. Same step one, same step two, same step, step three. Put on the ground, switch it up. Start with step three, right? Don't always land with step four. I literally have people map it out. Walk me through, I'll say, the the four steps, five steps, three steps, whatever it is. And I'll say, what if we started at step two and ended with step one? That makes it new. That makes it novel. Everyone thinks that better sex or getting that spark back is new and faster and harder. And it's like, no, sometimes it's just tweaking what already is. 
or what we just said, but sometimes it's just tweaking what is, shifting those patterns and those processes. We need that newness. But again, we fall due to comfort, laziness, whatever it is. Uh, so switching it up, when, where, how, why, right? Looking at all the different pieces. Um, and then sometimes we just need more of a total overhaul. Because again, we're, we're operating from the idea that we have to actually value and enjoy that which we're trying to recenter in our lives. It's kind of like when we're talking about work. Um, someone might say, you know, it's, it's really hard for me to put enough effort in or whatever, you know, or I'm not feeling so great at the end of a long day. Well, did what you, is what you did all day um, have enough meaning and value? Is it worth you putting that effort into? Do you stand behind what you're doing? You know, sex and relationships are the same way. We have to kind of create the kind of relationship that will give us what we want, that will keep bringing us back. And again, that's what I think frustrates me the most is people think all of these things are all run on autopilot without any attention or care put into them, that they'll just figure themselves out or take care of themselves. It just doesn't work like that. So I tell people like relationships are a verb. They're not, they're not a noun. They are not something we have, get, or possess. Relationships are verbs. They are active things that we participate in. And like anything and everything in the world, if we are not participating actively with something, well, then it's very reasonable that we feel bad about it, disconnected from it, right? And moves on without us. Um, we don't find the same levels of joy and value in it. So like really ask yourself that. We, we're, not, we're not trying to um, do like a, a, a sex hack and work around the truth and realities. We're stepping into them. That's why there's like that th therapeutic piece. What does it mean if you're unwilling to do this? What does it mean if your partner says, I miss sex and the spark we used to have and you don't care or you're not willing to do the work to get it back? Own that. Like there's something really loving and owning that, saying I don't care, or, I don't value that, or I don't value us. Awesome. That empowers both parties to really move towards a more meaningful solution. Um, all right, we got to take a little break. Um, so stick around and join us. We're going to keep going with this conversation, listening to Loveline. Loveline is brought to you by Astroglide, personal lubricants and massage oils for everyone. All right, we're back and we're still talking about how to bring the spark back when it's left us or the relationship or our partner. Um, it becomes sort of a larger metaphor for just how we move through the world in general, how we interface with any difficult or important topic. Do we face it? Are we honest about it? Do we you know, acknowledge and own our limitations or someone else's limitations? Or do we try to sugarcoat it, bypass it, ignore it? Again, relationships and sexuality are verbs. They're things we're actively participating in um, or we're not. And if we're not, well, then it's very reasonable and understandable that they don't feel important, that they drift, that we feel disconnected from them. So again, we're talking about how every single day you need to participate in romance and eroticism in some form, right? Go back and check out the earlier episodes. Um, go to wearechannelq.com. They're all there. And we're kind of talking about all the different ways to do so, changing things up, tapping into it every day. You know, again, the more things drift, the harder it is to get back to them. And like I said, surprising to some, there's an inverse relationship between comfort with disclosure and time together. The, the longer we're with someone, the more fragile it gets. And it can be even harder and harder to really let someone know who you are. Their opinion means more. So does the relationship. It becomes more fragile at times. I want it to instead become more robust because you're constantly working on transparency and disclosure and really building that kind of relationship where we can have difficult conversations. Uh, we can both sit in it, tolerate it, leave it when we need to, come back to it. I mean, that's the relational fluidity that's important. But do something, right? Um, it's really hard for a partner just to be told sorry about it, which that's a lot of data for them to get. Wow, your partner just doesn't care about you or your happiness and is unwilling to change. Like, hey, what do you want to do about that? So I do appreciate when a client comes in a session saying, yeah, my partner just doesn't care. Okay, well, we can actually work with that. Um, what do you want to do about that? The fact that your partner isn't interested in this part of your life or you, right? Or the things that are meaningful to you. But you got to do something, right? It is a little bit of a call to action. I want us to care about those that we're in relationship with. And like I've always said, if you're in a monogamous relationship, your limits are their limits. And it's not fair to ask for monogamy and then walk or force someone into celibacy by saying, you can only have sex with me and I'm not going to have sex with you. That's not mentally healthy. That's actually emotionally abusive. That is not an act of love or care. And that is not two people that should be in a monogamous relationship unless they're both comfortable with that. But most people aren't, right? So when we choose monogamy, there is this unconscious commitment that no one acknowledges that you will participate in sexuality in some form within consent and boundaries. But like that is part of that deal. 
Um, and remember, when I use the word sex, I don't, I don't necessarily mean penetration or genitals. I mean the wide umbrella, anything that people can do to feel connected, to derive pleasure, to build intimacy, so many different ways to do that. There's no right way, but I want people to find some form. And again, it, it, it's very simple, but you have to use a more adult evolved definition of sexuality right? Because a lot of people hear that word and they automatically think we're talking penetration, genitals, orgasms. No. Often, we don't even realize this, but sometimes it's just a bid for closeness, a bid for attention, a bid for validation, a bid to feel desired. But sometimes it is more than that. And sometimes it isn't. But um, we want to be open to uh, participating in some way with that for our partner. But I guess I just want to make sure I'm driving home the don't panic point, but also the idea that we're staying in the cycle. All the things that you did initially that are what brought you together, that are what kept you seeing each other, that created fun, that uh, had enough meaning and value that you continued to see each other and court each other and go on dates and decide to push it forward. All of those things are still available to you and you should at every stage of your relationship or marriage be participating in those things, still flirting, still romanticizing, still noticing, still courting. It's an active ongoing thing. It's not something that we check the boxes, we've done that, we've gotten them, and now we move on. And that's the flaw, some people see it that way. But this is also where it begins to get very, I guess, heavy and deep psychologically because we have to go up against ourselves. What's our level of interest in this relationship or the other? What's our own level of sexual self-esteem or our own level of body esteem? Is that holding us back? is a work for us to do on feeling more erotic in our own body or desirable or desirable period. How desirable do you feel? Because again, when we approach someone for sex or they approach us for sex, that is brought up. That is on the table, right? How do I feel that which, how do I feel that which I'm presenting to the other? How do I feel about this vehicle, my body that is the main site around which sexuality is engaged and occurs. Um, and if we don't feel very good about ourselves or our bodies, or our arousal system, right? The things that we like to do, right? The sounds we make, the way our bodies move, because that's all rolled up into body and sexual esteem. And those are pieces that culturally we don't often talk about. A lot of people are maybe even hearing this for the first time. How do you feel about yourself while being sexual? That's part of your sexual esteem and body esteem. How do you feel about your body? What parts do you let be seen and touched? What parts do you not? Why? Is that tied to gender? Is that tied to trauma? Is that tied to fear and shame? Like this is where we get to call that out and work through that. Cause that's sometimes why the spark is gone or people stop having sex because they lose that comfort or that safety. And it's, this is where we get to learn more about someone psychologically. What is that avoidance about? Um, what are we not acknowledging? What are we not calling out? What are we not wanting to have to work on? And that's where I love this all as an entry point. So do see it that way as, as a chance to really be self-reflective, as a chance to start this topic to lead you to talking about more meaningful and important things maybe beyond this. And the ability to talk about this makes me very comfortable with couples that I know that they'll be able to go on and talk about other really meaningful, difficult things if they can talk about this. So start there. But again, every time we enter a new relationship, and even if we're already in one, we can always renew and begin again. But when we begin them, build this in from the door. Create comfort around talking about these things. Um, but it's meaningful because there's so much in it. And again, our, our, our limits become our partner's limits and vice versa. So we want to be very thoughtful about that. Um, all right, so that's that. Just... Do it kindly. Remember you're on the same team. Think of it cooperatively, right? We both want the same thing, right? So just don't, don't, um, don't make it into something that has to be, have attention to it. It can just be an obstacle that we're both working through together. It doesn't have to be me against you, you know? Don't, don't take it to that level. Um, all right. Past episodes, as I said, of Love Line is over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look at my face, click on it. Bam, boom, there they are. Uh, we'll be back and... Um, after the next episode, uh, or next segment, excuse me, we'll be gliding back into those DMs. So if you got a DM for us, drop it in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new Channel Q and on Odyssey. Oh man, I'm looking at this article. Celebrities who've opened up about their choice to not have kids. Isn't it interesting that that's interesting? That we have it so hardwired socially, this, as we call it, the, the uh, relational escalator, or ladder, you'll do this, then we expect you to do that, then we expect you to do that, and everyone panics. 
I, I can't tell you how many people I, I know and work with where they think if they're not constantly moving to this next preset heterocentric milestone that the relationship isn't committed or a failure. And often people have literally everything they want, all the love, care, and commitment they could want, but because they're not hitting these milestones of a, of a proposal, a marriage ceremony, home ownership, that somehow they're you know adolescent or behind in life or not successful. It's quite heartbreaking because it's not authentic or honest. It's not about, these people aren't thinking for themselves. They're just kind of doing the conformity, falling in line. So I'm glad that there are celebrities that are openly like, hey, we don't want kids. Some of them aren't even married and they're like, we don't need that. And I, and I value that because I want to be there to support those that just aren't necessarily interested in relationship or marriage um, or kids. And I thought we all knew this, but let's just be reminded. Not everyone wants kids. That's cool. Not everyone wants marriage. That's cool. Not everyone wants relationship. Also cool. Um, stop implying as though they should, you know, like when are you having kids, what makes you think that we should or would want to, you know, like we have to be very cautious about the questions we're asking people because it can walk people into feeling really defensive or insecure. Um, just have more care. You know, it's kind of like commenting on people's bodies. Don't. But uh, Oprah, love her because uh, her and Stedman are not married and don't want to be. They're like, we don't need that mess. We're cool. I love that for them, truly. And they don't want kids either. I get it. They want to just focus on themselves. I, I respect and understand that, you know. Um, so who is this? Is Oh, yes. Uh, Chelsea Handler, Seth Rogen. Uh, both said they're not interested in sacrificing their lifestyles for kids. I get that. I might be that person as well. Um, I'm in a relationship and I'm pretty sure we don't want to sacrifice our joy and all the fun we have and all the traveling we do in order to deal or have kids. Yeah. It's just not something that seems meaningful to us. You know, um, Seth Rogen also said, and I love this, that him and his, uh, and his girl would rather just spend their weekends naked smoking weed here, here. That's the dream. I totally get that. That's, that's like the best weekend ever can't do that when you have kids often, you know, or maybe you can if the kids are taken by the grandparent or not even, you know, I mean, they're out playing in the other room, I guess. I don't know, but I have a lock on that door. But um, I appreciate some people don't want their lives disturbed, you know. Um, Jennifer Aniston, she's another one. Uh, Betty White, Sarah Silverman. Um, so Oprah, Betty and Sarah all came forward saying that their careers mean more to them would be disrupted by parenthood. And that's not something that they're interested in. Yeah, do you I get it totally get it. That's what your life's meant to be about. You know, Chelsea and Seth said, again, they don't want to sacrifice their lifestyles. Um, Oprah said, and this is a quote that if she had children, they would have hated her. Yep. And she's one of the most successful people in the world. Uh, but she said that her schedule and her life goals would have prevented her from being a good mom and her goals meant more to her. Yeah. She said, and I quote again, if I had kids, my kids would hate me. They would have ended up on the equivalent of the Oprah show talking about me because something in my life would have had to suffer and it would have probably been them. But that's maturity. Like, what kind of parent would I be? How would children fit into my lifestyle or my goals and dreams? And for some people, they're realizing they wouldn't, and it wouldn't make sense to them. And I, I, I appreciate that. Chelsea Handler, she never really wanted to have kids, she said. Um, she opened up about this, and she said, and here's a quote, I definitely don't want to have kids because I don't like them. I totally get it. I mean, so many of my friends have them, but I don't think I'd be a great mom. I'm a great aunt, and I like being the friend of a mother. Beautiful. I love that. Um, she also said, I like this too. I think you have to be honest about what your strengths are in life because I don't have patience. I wouldn't be good at it. I think a lot of people probably should be parents, but a lot of people conversely shouldn't. I think embracing your shortcomings isn't a bad thing. I respect that. You know, what is your temperament? You know, what would it be like to have a child brought in? Uh, John Hamm, he said he'd be a terrible father. Uh, he said, I'd be a terrible father. I see my friends who have children. And I'm like, dude, how are you even upright? Much less here at work at 6 a.m. And I think people get shame for that, that uh, that like kids should be a goal or that you should have shame saying you have things that mean more to you than parenthood. And and I think we need to be able to lean into that. Um, Betty White says she doesn't regret it. Um, I'll read you her quote. Actually, let's go to Stevie Nicks. I'm a big fan of hers. Um, she's amazing. But she told a magazine, she said, it's like, do you want to be an artist and a writer or a wife and a lover with kids? Your focus changes. I don't want to go to PTA meetings. Um, now, again, some people are probably saying, well, having children means a little bit more than what these people are putting out there, but I still respect their decision because a lot of them would have had to reorient their lives and they didn't want to. Um, Ellen and Portia don't want children, but we're not going to get into those two. <laughs> um, and then finally, Jennifer Aston, uh, Aniston, excuse me. She says she's tired of people shaming her for not having children. 
Uh, she said, having a child, as we know, is no one's business except the couple or individuals that are going through it. She said, my ideas of what a happy life and fulfilled life are might be different from other people's. I think it's to each of their own. Nobody's right to judge someone else's choice. Sensitive area. It's sensitive to me. These people have all gotten a lot of shame for it. And that's why I think they're so profoundly pushing back on the idea that they've done something wrong. You know, not everyone's meant to be a parent. God bless it. All right, coming up next, we're going to glide into those DMs. So if you got a DM for us, drop on our Loveland IG page. We'd love to hear from you, whatever you're wondering about or worrying about. Someone else might be as well, so you're helping them as you're helping you. So drop it in the uh, DMs on our IG. And uh, Loveline over at wearechannelq.com. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new Channel Q and on Odyssey. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all right we are back and now it's time to glide into the dms which are brought to you by astro glide dms always come from the dms on our love energy page so drop your questions in there this one says hey dr chris I'm thinking about breaking up with my boyfriend, but it's like I can never pull the trigger. I'm so afraid of the fallout. We have everything together. Oh, here it comes. We live together. Our lives are entangled, but we're both not happy. We've only had sex one time in the last year and a half. We've basically just become friends, which in all honesty, I'm happy that we're best friends, but I'm now craving romance and someone who really cares for me in that way because I'm not getting it from him. When can I know it's time to actually have that conversation now? Here's the thing. Again, I want us all to be able to have honest, transparent relationships. I want us to share with our partners what it feels like to be with them and where we're at. I want every couple, every couple months or at least once a year to sit down and say, how's this past year been? Should we do it again? What do we need to change? What do I need to change in myself? What do we need to change as partners, right? And assess. Not every relationship should keep going on. Yours shouldn't, right? As per your you know, the way you kind of explain it. So there should be no shame in now starting that conversation. Hey, how do you feel about our relationship? Hey, how do you feel about the fact that we haven't had sex? Do you miss sex? Hey, I know I do. I think I want to get sex and romance back in my life. It doesn't seem as though that's something we can create. Do you agree? Like it's a conversation. Often we need to just be bringing them in, letting them be part of our thought process. That's the healthy, loving transparency of intimacy, letting people know what you're struggling with. Don't, don't out of the blue, just say, I'm over it. We need to end this. I'm out. Like that's dramatic. That's not kind. Always let your partner know where you, what you're struggling with. So they can be a part of a solution. Maybe a year and a half ago when sex was slowing down, you should have brought it up then. I miss this. Can we fix this? And maybe you would have found a solution. It's a year and a half later. No one's brought it up. No one said anything. And now you just feel like you got to go, but you can lovingly share that. Do you think it's time to end this relationship? How are you feeling about us? That doesn't lead to a fallout. 
because you haven't pulled any trigger, but you're welcoming, you're welcoming them into the conversation. You're helping them feel empowered. So that's what you sit down and say. How do you feel about our relationship? Oh, I feel fine. Okay. How do you feel about the fact that we haven't had sex in a year and a half? Do you miss sex? Yeah, I do. Okay. Well, have you ever wondered about being with someone else or have you thought about that? Because I know I do. I miss that. And you might say, oh, yeah, I know. It's a really hard conversation to have, but I'm trying to have adult, honest conversations. What are your thoughts? Were you planning on just moving into another year of your life with me without sex? Like, where are you at? Invite them in, ask questions. Most likely they're feeling what you're feeling and both of you are afraid of how the other will respond. But we, that's how we honor that kindness. We bring it up, we welcome them in. I know it's hard, but what's even harder and harsher is again, out of the blue, disempowering our partner, right? And just dumping them and sending them back out into the world. Um, you wanna leave lovingly and that's part of how we do that. And then if you both agree this isn't gonna work, then you slowly work your way out, like you slowly worked your way in. We don't need to rip ourselves out, that's dramatic. We don't need to block them, delete them, move out tomorrow, start talking smack, no. That's not what healthy mental health, you know, mental health centered or healthy adults do. We say, okay, we're not doing this anymore. You slowly let people know, yeah, we decided to break up. You slowly, comfortably, whoever's gonna move out starts to find a place. And when they comfortably find a place, they slowly move out and you lovingly separate and you can still lovingly go to lunch and go for coffee and be best friends. This could be a beautiful thing. You both could have the most perfect lives. You move on, fall in love with other people, yet have each other as best friends. Everyone's content, everyone's comfortable, bam, blam, bam. That's how it should go. So you're on the best track ever. This sounds phenomenal, you know, but start that conversation, welcome them in, welcome them into that conversation and, um, then you can actually feel proud of yourself. That's actually how you show love, care, and respect is by saying, when I realized there was a problem, I, I, I brought it up. And that's how you, again, really feel like you did all you can do. You know, people, people that just pull the trigger out of the blue, don't let the partner know what's going on, um, make demands that they immediately move out, those people should have shame and feel bad because that's not care or love. That's not how we treat people. You know what I mean? So leave the loving way so that future people when they ask about prior relationships, you can have a really healthy response of just wasn't right. We talked it out and we're still friends. And that's what healthy people want to hear, you know, so that they can trust that you'll do that with them if things don't work out. You know what I mean? All right, y'all, that is our show. Um, as always, uh, Glide in the DMs is brought to you by Astroglide. We'll be back on Monday. Spend this weekend. Tons of self-care. Tons of joy and pleasure. You know what I mean? Rest as much as possible. And uh, put those DMs in the Loveline page. All right, y'all, thanks for hanging out. And you enjoy the rest of your night. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.